Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. This is The Crux in partnership with Google. Hello, James here, and you're listening to the IAB UK podcast. Welcome back to The Crux, a three-part podcast series run in collaboration with Google, taking on the issues at the heart of marketing's future with a range of industry experts to get to the crux, the one question marketers should be asking themselves. In this third and final episode, I'm joined by Wackle President Nishma Patel Rob to talk about closing the female leadership gap. Wackle is the club of female leaders in advertising and communications on a mission to improve gender equality in our industry. And Nishma's got an incredible tale of her own to tell. Our conversation is a fascinating journey through the evolution of women in advertising from past stereotypes to present realities, as well as looking ahead to the future as we explore the need for balanced leadership right at the top. And of course, we get into the crux of the matter as we ask, how does your agency change the language of leadership? I started by asking Nish about her personal experience of representation in advertising when she was growing up. So I loved advertising. Both my parents had studied kind of creative Mm. careers in some respects. I suppose a creative education. And my dad, when they first came to the country, worked in an ad agency. So I don't know whether it's that or just my natural interest of loving ads. At the time, I wasn't conscious of it, that you're never seeing anyone who looks like you. But my God, when I look back, I think, wow. You know, I remember my favourite ads were things like, you know, the Shake and Fuck ad or the, you know, Smash ad or Fairy Liquid with the mum at the sink with the washing up, you know. So as anybody, the same classic ads Mm. that we've all loved. But it's such a stark reality when I look back and realise I never saw myself. And I do now. Yeah. And it's only with age and wisdom and an opportunity to look back, I realised how much that impacted me. I probably did, you know, a long time ago. I've realised how that impacted me. So whether it was, I loved magazines, you know, I was a big magazine reader because it was pre-digital. So it's (laughs) all the magazines or three channels on your telly. (laughs) I distinctly remember sitting in my bedroom, clicking through these magazines, looking at all the ads and never seeing anyone like me. And it makes you immediately, not just a sense of a lack of belonging, Mm. it really impacts ambition. It really kind of makes you think, can I do this? And I remember when I said to my parents that I wanted to go off and do something more creative or work in media or marketing. And they were like, no, you know, you're never going to be able to, you know, there's no one like us is exactly what their words were. There's no one like us who works in that. And I always remember the first moment as well as, you know, beyond the kind of, you know, the really, what we look back on and go, what's a bit racist comedy, Mm. things like Mind Your Language was a favourite in my household, which I look back now and go, my God, I can't believe that was even made. But it was, we found it entertaining because Mm. there was a woman in a sari on it. Or whenever there was anybody brown, you know, you literally, and I know everybody who is a, of an immigrant background will share this, is, you know, if there was someone who looked even remotely like you, they didn't even have to be like us, Mm. but they were of brown skin even, You'd shut down the house and everyone would rush into the living room and look. But I always remember when Channel 4 launched, and Channel 4 was probably the first breath of fresh air that I started to see more of my culture. They really were the ones who broke ground. And they had an amazing late night kind of news type 
current affairs lifestyle piece. And they had a, a journalist on there called Shyama Pereira. And she was a young Asian woman and she had bright pink hair and she was really sassy. And I remember <laughs> looking at her and for the first time thinking, that's me. That's who I can relate to. But that's, yeah, shocking when I look back on it. And what, what, when would that have been? What sort of year would that have been? So that would have been, God, 80, late 80s, mid to late 80s. Mm. But there really wasn't. There wasn't even in content. It wasn't just the ads. The ads are incredibly male. Yeah. I still remember when I was really little loving the denim ad, <laughs> which was basically a, a fragrance for men. You know, it was of the ilk of an Old Spice or a Brute 33. And the woman would had long red nails and she'd slide her hand into the man's, you know, shirt. And it was all like, you know, dramatic. And... That was about as close as you got to kind of seeing a woman on telly. It was always in a very sexualized mm. or, you know, secondary role. Yeah. And, you know, there is, thank, you know, there are a lot of research, a lot of studies, but I can say from my own life experience and all of the people I know has a huge impact. Yeah. You know, it's not just the, you know, you're not curbing your dreams and the imagination. Mm. You're seeing where you fit as your role. I can definitely relate to the first 10 years or so of my career, believing that, I almost was kind of in a secondary position to a lot of my male colleagues for no, not necessarily what they had done, although yeah. there was some of that as well. A lot of it is kind of like how we perceive ourselves. Mm. What did your parents think you were going to go off and do if you weren't going to go and do this creative <laughs> thing? I think they were probably initially indulging me <laughs> to kind of go, yeah, yeah, you can do that. To be fair, my parents had to, for you know, lots of complicated reasons, they had to move away for a bit. Mm. And in some respects, it was the best thing that ever happened because I kind of just got on with it. Right, nice. Because I think if I'd had them there to question, doubt, steer, mm. things might have turned out very differently. But actually, in some respects, because they were creatives, they understood yeah. it. Yeah. They Their fear was not because they didn't respect the professions and they loved advertising and they loved creativity. They just didn't believe there was a place for someone like me Someone like us, yeah. you know, of brown skinned, of a certain class and part in society that would ever make it. And I think their fear, particularly when you're immigrants coming into a country, what you want for your children is to believe that they're not going to struggle financially mm. yeah. or from a sense of belonging or even the horrific racism we, off, you know, suffered when we were younger. They just want to protect you. And mm. I get that. I'm not 100% sure they still know what I do now, but, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think most of us I think for ages they thought I was just answering all the questions on Google, but <laughs> they know it's something. They go, we know it's, you do something. <laughs> I did a job. I worked for a company called AQA when text was very big before everyone had the internet on their phones and you would text a question and pay a quid. And there were people like me and probably loads of other students who would then go on Google because we wanted to find the answers and text it back. You'd get all, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, yeah there was pretty that. We talked about Channel 4 and Mad Women re recently aired, the story of pioneering women making iconic TV ads that changed the world. Tell us about some of the, the themes that were picked up in there. It was a fantastic documentary and I'm so grateful that Channel 4... And Shawshank Films, South Shore Films, sorry, would also had, had committed to doing it. I think, you know, they really helped depict not just what agency and marketing life was like, and it is, it does focus much more on agency rather yeah. than than the client. So it gives you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, behind the, the reality of what it was like in those agencies. And of course, you know, we've had mad men to yeah, depict yeah. what it was like. And yeah. there was, was actually the reality. You know, you only need to look back through really old copies of of, of campaign magazines and you'd see like the Saatchi brothers. With yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. It was very kind of male, bit mad men-esque. Mm. And I think what the documentary showed is, yes, there was a reality to that, 
but you would be it would be easy to believe that there had been no women before a certain point <laughs> because you never heard about those women you never heard about the work that they created mm. so it'd be easy to believe they never existed and it was an education for so many of us yeah. but you look at the determination that those women had so it was interesting the roles they were often put into so not leading in yeah. many respects even when they were leading the creative ideas they were still kind of you know assumed to not be able to carry the pressure of those the ideas were often shunned they tolerated a lot of misogyny in the workplace but found an incredible way of I think the way they framed it and dealt with it was you know I think a real lesson to us all but I also think there's an amazing lesson in there of how they you know and it applies now but they were pioneers in the way that they followed their creativity and when they did they were game changers in their agencies mm. You know, so whether it's Barbara Noakes and the wonderful story of what she did with Levi's and the very famous ad of Nick Kamen in the laundrette, taking off his jeans to wash them, <laughs> sitting there in his boxes and that. And and Barbara tells the story brilliantly, you know, and for years, none of us knew that it was Barbara who'd yeah. really been behind that, yeah. which I think is, you know, critically a shame. But I think it's great that she talks about it. And she's such a wonderful character. But she definitely had to push these ideas through. They weren't easily there and welcomed. And I love perhaps not covering the documentary, and I do believe this is true, it wasn't just a <laughs> made that thing, but, you know, a lot of this came from her having a rather saucy dream. So when mm. she came in the morning and the brief landed, she kind of was referring to this dream she had. <laughs> and I think it just gives a reality. You know, women are women, right? Just as anybody else. And mm. this kind to box them in or portray them in some whether it is, you know, from the male lens or even some kind of perfected female lens is wrong because yeah. actually their grit and determination and ideas came from everyday life. Mm. You know, Barbara Noakes talks a lot about the, the work she did on period products and on, I think there's another one which is on kind of like bras and things like that. And a lot of these were print copy ads rather than films. And actually how, you know, her wit and her humour with the copy, also just looking back actually really geekily at this <laughs> wonderful long copy ads that you'd never yeah. get away with now. But I think it's a real lesson to how she she approached it. And then at the time, everyone was like, oh, it's never going to work. Mm. So it's interesting. It's like, where were they trusted? Were they not? Another wonderful story in there, which was one of my personal favourite ads, was the Shake and Vac ad. Mm. And the amazing Carol Ray, who was also the first woman to ever have her name above a, a door. But at the time, she was a kind of lowly account exec or lowly sort of junior creative. And she would often get stuck on projects that nobody else wanted. You know, and lo and behold, they'd get a brief in for some random <laughs> carpet freshener. <laughs> Which you can only imagine they got passed around the office of going, God, no, I don't want to work on that brief. And they threw it to Carol. And Carol, because of her creativity and her determination to prove her ability, did like she does with anything, kind of take something like that on with great gusto and launches herself into it. And it wasn't the first idea, which is the other thing to, you know, I think it's very easy to believe that by some magic, yeah. you're like, bing, you know, here's a wonderful idea. She talks about, you know, 20 versions of that going wow. back and forth with the client mm. before she fell upon Shake and Vac, which, you know, I can still remember the jingle now. I won't sing it because I've got a terrible <laughs> voice. But, you know, there's many people who will. And it up 
absolutely yeah. transform the fortunes of not just that product, mm. but also the agency. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden, somebody who they virtually probably didn't even know her name, you know, she was so overlooked in the agency, had then been critical to their success. I'm not sure she necessarily got rewarded for it, but, you know, it's still important tales. Mm. So I think, you know, the, the truth of creativity, the truth of how ideas come about, and the way that these women showed grit and determination are lessons for us now. I think one of the things I've heard from a lot of people, both the documentary, which I thoroughly encourage, you know, whether even you're not in, there was, I had lots of friends who don't work in advertising at all. Yeah. And watched it and were kind of messaging me after, because I think it was just a really great piece of kind of storytelling mm. around something that we all have curiosity over. And none of them were mad women. They were just fabulous women. But I like the <laughs> fact that we called it mad women. But there is, there has been a bit of a case of people said, I wish it hadn't stopped where it stopped. Right. And there's definitely an opportunity to kind of make future series because where it ends, I feel, is almost 10, 15 years short of where we are today. Mm. So it tells a story to a point, but I don't think it really celebrates what I think has been quite transformational and accelerated change in our industry. Mm. And not just because of digital and technology, but I think an awakening and an awareness around the importance and value of diversity, you know, not these aren't CSR projects, these are genuine mm -hmm. routes to business, how the business, how the industry has struggled with these, yeah. both in formats, mm -hmm. in distribution, in the players that existed, in the kind of battles in the boardroom. And I think there's definitely a mad women, two or three, that could be made that would mm. really chart kind of how those women broke ceilings and walls the new age to come but it continues yeah and i think there's some really interesting lessons in the last 10 15 years that so many women could share you think about i mean you mentioned period products we're talking about women's underwear i mean it's just like just in intensely apparent that why wouldn't you have women in the room talking yeah. about these things why would you have like men deciding it i wonder if you fast forward to now and the i guess the debate that we're all wrestling with around things like ai i mean it, it's things that get programmed often by men and perhaps aren't particularly inclusive or diverse are going to give you a certain output so again we're kind of in this debate again of you still need the right people the right makeup of different people in the room if you're making these things yeah well i, I don't I think a really good example uh, of both kind of where the advertising needs to shift as well as the technology mm. But, you know, look at car manufacturers and I think, you know, look at the, <laughs> I, I, it kind of still shocks me sometimes, but the conversations around auto who will say, oh, you know, it's just because men like more cars. And you want to go, look at the percentages of women who drive. You know, whether they love driving or not, yeah. they are still purchasing cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the reality of not having developed advertising that talks to 50% of your audience mm. Maybe it's not quite fifty percent of female ownership, but it's probably not far off. Yeah. Seems ludicrous to me, mm. and it, there has been an awakening of late. And I love the fact that there are more female CMOs in the auto industry, and I hope from that will be a greater output mm. and a change in output, which we are starting to see. Yeah. But you only need to look back, I'd say five years ago, and look at compare all the auto advertising. Yeah. You know, forget the years before that, but even as recent as that. Now there are more shifts and changes. Mm -hmm. There still needs to be a lot more. And you're right, as we embrace new technology, particularly AI, whether that's the generative models or thinking about how they're going to help us in, in marketing and mm -hmm. ad execution, if we don't ensure, not just the people who are designing these from an engineering perspective, but how we train them, mm. 
what we train them on mm-hmm. is going to really be a determinant of what we see happens next. So, so as an example, I've just taken on a, a another kind of charity role as the president of the History of Advertising Trust. And so we'll be having a conversation mm-hmm. around the archive mm-hmm. and they've just have a, a kind of a new volume of work that's about to be archived which will give i think probably one of the most robust mm. archives of that nature which isn't just amazing for advertising but actually is incredible when you start to go what were the predictors around different economic downturns and upturns what were the yeah. changes around actually you know how women were featured mm. or how children were featured whatever it might be you know there's a big debate around actually did advertising reinforce what was already society's belief or did advertising form and further form society's belief? Mm. You know, and I would love to look at that study, which is why I've taken on this role as with the amazing Tom Knox and the incredible board that they have at at HAT, because I'm, I think it's so critical Mm. for us to learn going forward because you could easily say, okay, if we could categorize what we have from the past, let's take auto advertising and you could do it down to, model you could look at impact on purchase or impact on behavior particularly say if you took government ads Mm -hmm. i think it's a really important lesson when we're struggling to go how do you break through on sustainability how do you change behaviors what happens in an upturn what are the first categories that shift when people start spending again Mm. because i think if you're in an agency if you're sitting in a brand that kind of historical information is important and most important as we train models because we don't want to train a model to say view out you know thousands of new digital assets yeah. which is a reality and the brilliance of ai because we are you know we're only scratching the surface <laughs> of what ai can do mm. but i do feel very passionately about female leadership diverse leadership and contribution in teams shaping that let's change gears a little bit and talk about wackle the 101st president, as you were appointed in June. I mean, talk a little bit about what might have changed in the last 100 years and what, what's left to do. What's sort of going to be key to your presidency? What are the things that really matter to you yeah. that you want to drive forward? I'm going to have to sort of pinch myself. It's, uh, well, <laughs> Ava, I'm president. at the start. You were saying, but, but, oh, yeah. man, look at you now. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I am look, a very privileged and honoured mm. to be the president. But the fact that the club's 100 years old is the piece that I... Still have to kind of keep. I have loved going through the history of, of the club as we've been doing celebrating our centenary and its origins. And actually, I, one of my f- favourite conversations with is our oldest, and I mean in age, member of Wackel, who's an amazing woman called Marion Pittman. She's ninety three years old. Wow. She's such a character. She turns up to all the events. She gets the tube everywhere, which gives me palpitations. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to like drive her home because I'm so scared of her. And actually, slightly embarrassed at how much healthier than she is than me. <laughs> but one of the things with Marion is, and I think this is why it's so important to kind of stop and think about looking things through because it's very easy to get worn down with what we haven't done, what needs to be done, etc. Yeah. And it is so important just to stop and look. Mm-hmm. And she made a brilliant comment once we were discussing, you know, current behaviours and things we were going to do to roll forward, you know, what were we campaigning for, etc. And she stopped and she said, what you see as battles today, we saw as mere skirmishes in my day. Wow. 
And I think there's nothing more powerful than reminding yourself of that progress mm. and the lens through which we see it. She also did say, I have to say, at the end of it, she also looked at me and said, if you think you lot are having fun now, you've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> With a twinkle in her eye, <laughs> which I'd like to have known more about. But I think she's right. So there has been progress. The club has done a phenomenal job. You know, it started out as a dining club. It started out, its origins were actually, it was set up at the behest of some members of the 30 Club because they had a delegate of people coming over from the States, which included some women, heaven forbid. Mm. So <laughs> they set up a dining club to entertain mm. these female clients. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so for years it was a dining club because it was a safe haven yeah. for the very few women that existed in the industry mm. and they could share and swap notes and find comfort and network within that. But in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years, under the leadership of some of the previous presidents, we have become a much more active and activism mm. being a part of the club. Yeah. So as well as our recognition of the, the community and network that we provide to each other, there is the clear effort around next generation through everything we do with the talent awards, yep. which is about recognizing future leaders and the talent festival, etc. So all of this idea of actually how do we continue to nurture and support next generation. I love the fact that the talent awards are going to be 20 years old next year. And you look at the alumni of those winners of this year yeah, and yeah. so many of them are the leaders yeah. in our industry today. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, I think that shows some of the power of yeah, what Wackle yeah. has done in that support mm. mentorship. But the other area has been around campaigning for that broader change. So recognising whether it was around flexible working hours, whether it's about the pay gap, mm -hmm. or whether it's something that, that I just launched recently with the amazing Kate Rowlandson and Leanne Ray and many of the team was the menopause mm -hmm. policy. And these are the things where we don't believe any of these things should ever be a competitive advantage. So creating open source, simple to understand, free materials for the industry is is a game changer. Yeah. And actually we had loads of brilliant feedback on the menopause policy because we've said, you know, adopt it, adapt it, live it, work it. So, you know, you've got to make it, it's not one of these things that tick, I've got a policy, it's got like it. actually do. And that came in about from personal experience of the challenges I've had with the menopause and mm -hmm. working, which has been really difficult. And that's not necessarily true of every woman, you know, not everyone's going to challenge the like pregnancy, not everyone's going to have yeah. a difficult pregnancy. But statistically, 10% of women leave the workforce because of menopause-related illness or issues, and a greater number kind of struggle through it. Mm. And that's only going to impact what happens to the shape of this industry when we think about female leadership. Yeah. So under my year, and it's an important one because I'm taking the club from the 100th to the next yeah. century, into the 101st, into the next century. So I thought kind of really, what did I feel, both the industry, but also the club, the fact that the club is growing, you know, which is great because it means we're doing our job because we're yeah. more senior women. Yeah. But the three areas have been that I focus in on has been allyship, so recognising how we give it as well as how we receive it. Mm. So we cannot achieve our goals of true equality and 50% of roles being held by women at every level if men are not part of the conversation. We think about allyship in a much more intersectional way as well. And I think it's about recognising, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the crisis of young men. Yeah. And... The reality is, I feel very strongly, this is one of the things I came into the club and talked about, was it's our job to really help. You know, you don't self-appoint yourself as an ally. People don't get to stick it like as a badge on LinkedIn yeah. or something. You know, you are told you're an ally. Mm. You earn that right. And the reality is we can identify great male role models. And the opportunity of doing that and supporting them 
as they support us, it's really important to create really strong, brilliant male role models for younger generation of men. Because yeah. the thing I used to hear repeatedly from irrespective of age was either, oh, what do I do to be a better ally or I'm being displaced or I don't know who to look up to and things like this. And it's such a, it's a problem. It's a problem for society. I think it's a problem for our industry. Yeah. And you know, you need to read the many stories about Andrew Tate and others that, that will make you kind of go, gosh, mm. you know, we have a problem. So I think allyship for me has been a critical thing. Next one is around female health. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I was a little bit shocked that we didn't have a menopause policy, particularly if you look at the membership makeup, which is probably a lot of women either in the kind of perimenopausal or menopausal stages yeah. of life. But I think that's the reality of, that's no poor effort on the club. That's a societal and broader thought so menopause in terms of conversation today it's kind of cut through to the mainstream we're a lot more open Mm -hmm. whether it's thanks to davina mccall and others we're more aware yeah and i think that's also because we're a generation of women at a greater volume who are in positions of leadership who this becomes a greater issue this isn't like when i mentioned it to my mum, who's like you know (laughs) barely knew she went through it but she clearly did Mm. You know, in her generation, it was like, you just got on with it. You didn't make a fuss. I would say even the women five or ten years above me did the same. I'm part of a generation of women who feel more empowered to speak about it, who want to recognise as a way of supporting. And I think see the value of doing that when we are now achieving those positions in all sorts of different parts of life. And then the third area, an area that I'm really passionate about, is around kind of the next generation. Yeah. So I think leading the club into the next century is like, what does WACL need to be? Mm. And what's some of the roles that we can play? Because we have an overall mission of achieving 50% of all CEO roles to be held by women by 2045. Mm. And we have a whole playbook that talks about the levers by which businesses can adopt and leaders can adopt better behaviour to encourage women into those roles and through progression. Allyship will certainly help that. Female health will certainly help that throughout people's kind of biology and working. But the other area is thinking about the next generation and how they want to be represented in advertising, and is it still as relevant? So the Unstereotype Alliance with UN Women do an amazing job of telling us what not to do. Mm. So they're really good at it. Do not demonstrate people indifferent. They don't, you know, they had a great piece around kind of maternal roles or female roles, lead roles, are they secondary speaking, etc. So really kind of detailed analysis of yeah. stereotypes. And all sorts of, not just women, actually, they've gone broader than that. What it doesn't do, and again, no failing of the Unstereotype Alliance at all, and that's kind of much more of us on an industry, is what should we be doing? Mm. And this all came about from a conversation I had with my daughters. I have boy-girl twins who are 15 years old. I had come home one day very proud of some work that I was doing at Google where I was, you know, showing this young woman who was out working and, you know, in my head was a depiction of a young woman that I imagined would be aspirational. Yeah. And I show my daughter, who your kids are always the worst critics of your work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of curled up her nose and said, oh, I don't want to just be seen working, mum. And I remember just thinking, what? You know, thinking I failed as a parent. <laughs> and what she was saying, and we talked about it afterwards, and I found it really interesting, and then kind of sent me off on a bit of a hunt around this, 
But she was just, there's just a reality that our younger generations don't see the labels. They don't see the silos. They don't think about male and female roles in quite the way that we do. She doesn't see her life goal as necessarily breaking through that ceiling and working. Mm. In some respects, we've kind of done that job. Mm. So they have a slightly different depiction of life and of work and what matters to them. And that got me thinking about, actually, are we doing enough listening? Are we really thinking about how women want to be represented in in the work that we create as an industry because mm. we because knowing coming back full circle to the start of our story it has a powerful impact on how young girls young boys will grow up and thinking about life society and their careers yeah so we have a huge responsibility as an industry as we constantly evolve and sometimes we like just the shiny and new but sometimes mm-hmm. i want to go shiny and new and got to keep remembering actually the power of the work that we do so One of the things as well, I think, as an industry is we haven't, parts of the industry, sorry, not all of it, parts of the industry don't seem to have really embraced the creator economy. So digital platforms, digital opportunities of all sorts Mm -hmm. have undoubtedly created a new ecosystem of creatives. I look at these creatives the same as I look at creatives in traditional agencies. Yep. Traditional agencies don't necessarily think that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I don't want to generalise because that's not entirely true. But I do know there has been a disconnect because mm-hmm. I have worked with lots of these agencies yeah. and they've shared some of that you know struggle that they're on and they're definitely addressing this mm-hmm. because if you're going to keep bringing younger talent but you want them to teach and think about creative in a certain way, it, there's in some respects it's going to be so counterculture to them, but you're also missing the opportunity. Mm. As more mm. and more mm. brands want to embrace ways to be relevant and reach more audiences, yeah. you need to embrace the people who know how to create it. It's the same way. No one yeah. would have just stuck out a TV ad. <laughs> You'd have gone to the people who really understand yeah. the medium and knew what to make. Mm. Why do we think we could do anything differently on some of these new platforms? Yeah. And I think that's partly technology and format-based, but there's also a freedom. So the fact that the democratization of the stories and the opportunity to of who tells it mm-hmm. and the lack of commissioning editors means you've now got this incredible rich tapestry of stories that are told. And so when you go to these women, who in my opinion, and it's not just women, but I find it shocking that in an industry that has organically grown, we still have a pay gap problem. And that's because of how we're looking at this industry. Mm-hmm is we don't value them. They're still seen as a little bit like murky oh, influencers versus actually these some of the talent in this in these creators are bigger than the media companies. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have more power, more yeah. influence. They are cr- as creative, some of the best creators I've ever met. Yeah. So we need to kind of sit up and take notice of these incredible women who are creating and telling stories and commanding audiences and influencing them. Yeah. So our ambition with Represent Me is, first of all, to create an alignment amongst the platforms which we have done. So mm-hmm. we've got all of the big social platforms involved, YouTube, Snap, TikTok, Pinterest, uh, coming together to say, okay, how do we embrace these female creatives? So we're selecting a number of creators and literally handing the pen to them. Mm. So we're saying to them, there's a, it's an aspect to review this advertising for us. We're actually showing them ads right. and getting them to critique them and tell us, actually, yeah, I really like the way you've done this. Well, actually, no, I'd never have put, mm. I don't want to be seen in that way, etc. You know, like, let's hear firsthand from them what do they think of the kind of stories and depictions that are in advertising what resonates what doesn't and i hope through that also get a richer understanding of what they would like to see mm. i think the byproduct as we started doing this and i have to say it's a byproduct because i'm not going to do that thing to pretend like yes it was because <laughs> it wasn't but as we were going through this 
It was the telling realisation that it also gives us indication of how they want to be seen at work. Got it. So it's not just in the work, Mm -hmm. but it's at work. Because actually one of the things I feel responsibility of, and I know all of the women at WAC will do, is we are role models to the next Mm -hmm. generation. And, you know, as a parent, you're a role model. You know, we all play these roles every day. And the fact is, if we're not modelling the behaviour, the cultures Mm. that's going to attract these wonderful young women and young generations into work, we've got a problem. Yeah. And we can keep having a discussion about, you know, how many days in the office and how many not, but it's the wrong debate. Yes, we need to understand flexibility and hybrid and location, but there's a deeper level of here, Mm -hmm. the kind of work, the kind of environment, the patterns, you know, the fact that we are still on a Monday to Friday, nine to five Mm -hmm. is insane. Although no one does nine to five, let's be honest. (laughs) But, you know, we all work far too many hours, etc. And the risk is we will struggle to attract generations of talent into this into our industry, into our businesses, unless we can more radically change. And I hope this campaign with Represent Me doesn't only give us a rich set of insights around supporting ideas of how we should represent women in advertising. So, you know, I suppose a very kind of helpful handbook alongside the Unstereotype Alliance work of what not to do is maybe some ideas what you could Mm do. But I also hope it gives us some really interesting thought starters that should lead into further examination and debate around genuinely talking about the future of the workplace yeah because we've skirted around it a little bit and and covid and the pandemic was our moment to reset Mm -hmm. and i'm just not sure we have i feel like we've got a second chance of reset particularly with the advent of ai and how that's going to change and it's not to be feared it's to be embraced Mm -hmm. it's to be understood and i think this is a wonderful opportunity to maybe take stock and go what should we really be building yeah I, I love how you've taken that conversation with your 15-year-old daughter and how that's sort of been made bigger. And that's kind of what you're doing with Represent Me in terms of, well, you guys look at it and tell us. Well, it's, um, um, I love it. Um, one to leave us on then, two questions, two quick ones. Advice, I think, that you would give to young leaders, so those people who are kind of coming through that next generation that you talk about with Wackle. And what's your sort of hope for, you know, 10 years' time, so the 111th uh, president, what sort of presidency, what sort of wackle will they be taking on, do you think? Yeah. So I think there's two... So advice to younger leaders would definitely be around, you know, we are at such an accelerated pace of change in our industry and our world at the moment. Investing in your education, your learning is more important than anything else, and that can be all a lot of kind of self-learning, mm-hmm. you know, Wackle just have it. We, we've just closed on our annual talent awards, which we is not about standing up and picking up an award. It's about getting a bursary to invest in yourself and mm-hmm. to learn. Because, And I'm a big believer of that. I think what life has certainly taught me is you cannot predict what's going to be the next big thing, <laughs> good or bad. So the yep. highs and the lows, who could have predicted the pandemic? Who mm. could, you know, I know there's those that say they could have, but the reality is there isn't. The, the most significant downturns or challenges in our industry have come from unknown issues similarly the highs are sometimes slightly harder to predict you know we can follow patterns and i think therefore when you're in a space of going actually i can't you you stop worrying about obsessing around the things you need to predict and actually just focus on having the skills Mm. to be prepared to adapt which is why learning is so important i also think linear pathways are not necessarily the future yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. so an obsession or a focus on the next promotion and the next job are less important now than a breadth 
of rich experiences. And I would say to young leaders, there's a lot resting on their shoulders to shape the future. They'll be able to best do that if they are kind of more grounded and clear on what they want to achieve. Mm. I think in terms of the next, you know, a president in a welcome president in 10 years' time. 10 years is an unfair 10 question. 10 years is like, <laughs> I can't even imagine what's going to happen in the world in 10 years. My only hope would be that not only, so in 10 years' time, we, I would hope we're well on our way to achieving the 50%, mm. you know, we should be. And if not, we'd have a lot more to worry about. I actually think, interestingly, in the next decade, there's going to be quite a significant change in our industry. There are a lot more senior female leaders who are leaving kind of the bigger corporate gigs for a Mm. whole host of reasons. There is no single pattern. Someone far more clever than me will look at the (laughs) patterns in time. But at the moment, I can't work them out because they range from, you know, personal reasons to professional reasons to just had enough, just want to do things differently, etc. I think there's, like I say, we are the first generation Mm. of women of this age and it's interesting to therefore see how they're navigating this. Some of them are just fed up with trying to push through or when yep. they get to the top, they don't really like what they've seen. So that's not true everywhere. So I'm always really careful to balance this because I think it's important to have a women that want to continue and pursue career, corporate careers. You know, I've had a corporate career for 30 years and it's been brilliant and I've mm. learned a lot from it. So it's really important to continue to have women in those top jobs. But I think what's really interesting and probably is typical of the kind of cycle of change that we have in our world and the economy at the moment, there are a lot more women who are embracing new opportunities, new ways of working, creating their own environments. Yeah. I'm going to be as bold to predict that in 10 years' time, I think not only will you see more senior female leaders in the companies we know and love today, assuming they all exist, but I think you'll see a plethora of new founded businesses, female-led businesses, where we might, quite shockingly so, be introducing and welcoming the support of the creation of MACL, Men in Advertising and Communications Leadership. Wow. And not because they are a rare breed to be found, but (laughs) because they can learn from some of the ways... That, that women have continued to approach leadership and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we have a far more harmonious way of thinking about actually how we grow. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Nish. Thank you. Wackle President Nishma Patel Rob Bear sharing some of the incredible work Wackle has been doing over the last 100 years and continues to do so today. Nish has just got this drive this determination to create change and the almost unapologetic ambition of Wackle to drive gender parity right at the top where clearly it's needed the most. So after three episodes and seven brilliant guests, that's it for The Crux, the IAB's podcast series in partnership with Google. We've explored the shift away from linear consumption and the impact that's had on content creators and marketers. We've investigated the benefits of a new privacy-first future and looked to the future of a more balanced leadership. If you want to hear more from the IAB and Google, check out IAB Europe's Talking AI series. We'll put the link in the notes. But for now, that's it from me. I'll be back with one final episode for 2023 later this week. Looking back on some highlights from this year with our Chief Executive Officer, Jonathan Mew. But until then, thanks very much for listening. This is The Crux in partnership with Google.